0: Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Well, last time I got up here, I got to talk about repentance. And um, that's not quite as fun of a subject. Uh, generally, we can sometimes have a hard time being told that um, we aren't perfect and we make mistakes and uh, God's judgment requires us to repent. Um, so there is some good news there at the end, but it can still be a hard thing. Um, compassion, on the other hand, uh, feels a little bit more like a feel-good topic, Um I would like to think that I'm a compassionate person, and I think we all like to receive compassion, and often that's what we think about when we think about compassion is um, receiving it and uh, giving it to people that we love and feel bad for, Um, but our call to godly compassion, rest assured, is also convicting (laughs) and uh, also encouraging because it is yet another thing that is a hard task, but we don't have to do it alone. So my prayer is that we walk away today feeling both convicted and encouraged and reminded that we're not asked to face it alone. So because I always think it's interesting to ask kids about stuff like this, um, I did ask my eight-year-old what she thought compassion was. And normally, some answers from kids can be funny, lighthearted. She was convicting. So (laughs) her first words to me were, when someone is not kind to you, and That was not really what I expected from her, but um, she said, when someone isn't kind to you, you still be kind to them. If something happens to them, you still show them compassion by helping them. Kids, (laughs) (laughs) they can be so convicting sometimes, entertaining, but convicting. And um, it can be pretty easy to show compassion to people that we like uh, about situations that didn't impact us negatively. Those are the easy parts. But Romans 12, 20 through 21 says, after we are encouraged or commanded not to avenge ourselves, he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I do want to address a little bit that heaping of burning coals, (laughs) because I think sometimes we come at it with yes. Yes we're going to be nice to them, kill them with kindness. Um, We're going to make them feel bad and convicted and, um, you know, making someone feel convicted is a righteous thing to do, right? Not our job. So no matter how, there's a few different ways that people can interpret the burning coals thing, but no matter what, our heart is not to heap shame on people. Um, The Holy Spirit's job is to convict, not ours. So just get that out of the way because I know sometimes it's really easy to get in that mindset of wanting people to feel bad about what they did for us, did to us. So now that we've established we have no authority to decide who deserves compassion, praise God because none of us deserve it. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and then um, we're going to dig into Christ's example of compassion. God, we thank you so much that you give us what we don't deserve, that you give us compassion, and that in that compassion, you give us an example to follow. I pray today that you would grow us and um, instill in us a compassion that reflects you to the people around us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So a non lila simple definition of compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and concern for others but when we think about godly compassion, I think it's important that we go further than that. We recognize that godly compassion does not end with feeling. It doesn't end with feeling bad, but it should fuel acts of kindness and mercy towards others. So today we are continuing the Unshakable Life series, and the big idea here is the unshakable life moves compassionately towards people with the gospel through words, deeds, and power. So compassion is not just a feeling, it is part of our mission. It inspires our mission that we're called to. And so a life lived with compassion is moved with compassion, prays with compassion, and is sent with compassion. And we'll talk a little bit, too, about what sent means. As we look in the Gospels, there are lots of examples of Jesus showing compassion to people. In Matthew nine thirty-five through 36 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus spent a lot of his time, a lot of his ministry, a lot of his energy, showing compassion to people. More than once, he withdrew from the crowds, because he needed rest, because he was fully man, as well as God. And he had, I'm sure he was exhausted. It says that he withdrew to be by himself multiple times, but they also followed him time and again. But his response was not frustration, but compassion. And sometimes we feel like we deserve, we have every right to say, not now, (laughs) to to be frustrated about situations, Um, but that wasn't his response. And he had every right by our standards not by his, but every right by our standards to call people out and say, leave me alone, give me a moment. Because then there's another example in Matthew 14. After hearing of the death of John the Baptist, it says he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. To give some perspective, Jesus's cousin and dear friend, John the Baptist had just been executed. This is a time that most people, as I was saying, would agree you need to give the man some space. It would be absolutely inappropriate for the crowd to follow him and force him to interact with them. He needed space to grieve, but instead, he meets the needs of the crowd. In his need for rest and time alone, we see that he is fully man. But in the way he meets their needs with compassion, we see that he is fully God. And we are called to follow that example. If we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. We're called to follow his example as he showed extraordinary compassion. Compassion beyond, you know, the Bible talks about his ways are higher than our ways. This is a great example of it but we can never show compassion the way he did on our own. We are called to follow his example, but it's way beyond our abilities. But in his example of compassion, he also empowers us to show compassion. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit who shows us not just how, but when, and how to meet people in their needs. Even when it makes no sense, even when we're totally clueless and we have nothing left in the tank to give people, I think we've all been there, or we have just felt like we've got nothing else. But we're not called to do that. We're not called to muster up our own strength to meet people's needs. He provides us the strength and wisdom we need, and he also provides us, as we look at his life, a model of ministry, because this is part of our mission. It fuels our mission, and we see him, he sees the needs, He feels, and then he acts. And this model does show one way that God uses our emotions. I think we often um, twist the emotions that he has given us. We often swing from one extreme to the other. We'll label our emotions as your flesh and say that it's sinful and we shouldn't pay it. It's equal to our sinful nature. Or we swing to the other side and we say, this is the Holy Spirit. And we, um, we use our emotions as priority. They guide the way that we live because they're important, and that must be the Holy Spirit speaking to me. The reality is, somewhere in the middle, God gave us our emotions, and he often uses them to lead us. But the key here is that in order for him to use those, we have to give them to him. And as he sanctifies us, as he works in us, and we follow him more closely, our hearts, our emotions line up more with the heart of God. I think the Psalms are a really great example because we see David time and again pour out his emotions. He often expressed emotions in ways that uh, were embarrassing for the people around him, but God doesn't rebuke him for sharing those emotions. He's actually called a man after God's own heart. The key is that we always see him go back to, but God is good. This is hard, and that's an understatement for some of the things he said. (laughs) He used great imagery and lots of deep emotions to express the hard that he was dealing with, but he always came back to, but God. But God is good. Praise God. Declaring his trust. So this emotion of compassion is a catalyst. It moves us towards action. It's not just sitting in our feelings and, and getting teared up over somebody else's hurt. There is action involved. So in that example in Matthew 9, Jesus once again shows us an example and gives instruction for compassion in action. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. God made a way for the saving of our souls, the harvest. That's what he's talking about when he speaks of the harvest, and that is his ultimate act of compassion. But when he speaks of the harvest and praying for the harvest, he's addressing spiritual needs. But in his instructions, we also see his desire to care for tangible and physical needs as well. And when he gives authority to the disciples, he calls them to address those things as well. There is both the authority to meet their physical needs, the healing of affliction and disease, but also praying for the harvest. So we get to be a part of his mission to fulfill physical and spiritual needs for people, tangible needs. Now, what does that look like? That can be kind of a hard. What, is it, what does it look like to meet needs of people? Not every situation requires the same act of compassion. Um, sometimes I wish there was an algorithm that we could follow. When someone is experiencing this, this is how you respond. Um, unfortunately, I do think that we would also mess that up even if it was very clearly written out for us. So he, he's got a reason for the way he does this. He doesn't ask for mindless obedience. Uh, That's not what relationship is about. So in those instructions to disciples, he did include an answer that is always the correct action, and that is to pray, the prayer of compassion. So if you're looking for a universal answer for compassion, prayer is always the first step. Because God knows what we need to experience. He knows what other people need to experience to grow their faith to experience his love, to be drawn to him. And when we think of all the needs of the world, I'm sure I'm not alone in being a little overwhelmed. (laughs) Even just looking at a small picture of what the world needs, both tangibly and spiritually, it can be so overwhelming and sometimes paralyzing. How do I even begin to meet the needs that I see? Because we are not all-knowing, We need his discernment, we need wisdom. And the great thing is, in James 1.5, we're told that if we ask God for wisdom in faith, he will give generously. He's not asking us to go out and guess. Um, He's not asking us to logic it out and figure out exactly how we can meet needs. And that doesn't mean that it's mindless, that doesn't mean we don't think through logistics but it does mean the most important piece is asking him what next. And prayer is not just a helpful tip. I think sometimes we use phrases like, all we can do is pray. You know, that's all that's left to do. I don't know what else to do but pray. And that sounds so defeated. (laughs) Like prayer is just the last resort. But it is the most powerful action we can take we're told to pray without ceasing and to bring our request to God. So it is a constant action. Uh, when we see needs, both spiritual and tangible, the question we ask God is What would you have me do in response to this situation? What's the next step for this person, for this situation, for this problem? Because there is a next step. We also, as important as prayer is, it's not in a vacuum. Because we are sent. We're sent to uh, live with compassion towards people. We're sent on mission here. Because Jesus was ultimately sent into the world to show us the ultimate compassion of his sacrifice, of the saving of our souls. And that feels a little bit like an understatement. Sometimes we throw that around. Jesus came to, to die for us, and but that's huge. <laughs> that's a big deal, and sometimes I think we just need to sit with that for a minute and understand the compassion that he shared with us. And that in and of itself, if we truly understood that, we would have a much easier time showing compassion to anyone and everyone because there's a gratitude that comes with that, that out of that flows grace and compassion for people, no matter what they've done or experienced. And as followers of Jesus, we have now been sent. We're sent to be moved by compassion, to share with the world the compassion that we have been given. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And again, that can feel a little bit overwhelming because the answer isn't the same for each one of us. We don't have the same calling. You know, we have this big calling that's the same. But what does that look like in the day to day? Fortunately, he then promised his Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is our helper in that mission. Jesus, the sent, has now become the sender. And he was not just sent for the disciples, praise God. It didn't end there. The disciples were called to go out, and now we get to be a part of that. He came for all of us, and now we get to be a part of the mission, which is exciting, even when it is overwhelming. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the Great Commission, another verse that we hear a lot, but it's important. It is our mission in life. Everything that we do flows out of this call or should flow out of this call to spread the good news. And we've talked a little bit about kind of the zoomed-in picture, what it looks like to pursue compassion in the day-to-day. But when we talk about mission, it's kind of the big-picture view. So stepping back and uh, understanding why we are called to do what we're called to do. And we are messengers and ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I feel like now I need to like put this on my mirror <laughs> because we can focus a lot on what he's done for us, but he has very obviously called us to more. Not just to accept it, but to share that with others. Multiple times, just in these few verses, he says, go tell people, we are messengers. He, Jesus reconciled us to God, and now we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are to both announce and demonstrate the gospel. This is not a message to keep to ourselves, but to declare to the world. We get to share this with other people. That's a privilege. So what does it mean to announce? This is not about street corner megaphones but um, we must share the gospel through our words. And that can feel very um, obvious. We're supposed to say the gospel to people, but I know I'm not alone in hoping and praying that if I live different enough, that they'll ask. And sometimes that is the case, but we have to ask ourselves, when was the last time we said the gospel to people? Said the gospel, not just lived it out, but said it to them. I think we can sometimes assume that most people have heard the truth of the gospel, and that's just not true. We can't assume that everyone has heard it and will just logically know this person loves Jesus and, and lives this life. It must be the right thing. To show compassion to others is to share the grace and forgiveness we've received. And this is the yet another convicting part of compassion. We truly love people the way we say we do, and we truly believe the gospel that He has called us and everyone to salvation. We can't not share it. We can't keep the truth to ourselves. And just as faith without works is dead, announcing or verbalizing the gospel is not enough. We must also demonstrate the gospel. And demonstrating the gospel does not mean that we live this tidy little life and do the best we can making as few mistakes as possible. But demonstrating the gospel looks like recognizing your sin and repenting. It looks like meeting people's needs with compassion. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that obvious in your life? And as I often try to tell my kids, why is it called the fruit of the Spirit? because we can't do it. We can't do it without the spirit. We can't work hard enough that these all of a sudden become naturally to us. It's the spirit of God working on and through us that produces that fruit. So it's an important reminder. We don't need to be overwhelmed by trying to fit into this box because we have the helper. I once had a friend tell me that church was just full of hypocrites and I'm sure I'm not the only one that has heard that. From people. It's a pretty common uh, critique. And that was hard to hear, and I don't really, I was like, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to this, because he's not totally wrong, but he's kind of missing the point a little bit. I told him that church is not full of perfect people, but that the problem is when we try to pretend we are. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is that we know where truth and grace comes from, that we know what repentance means, we know who to turn to. And that's why we have to say those things to people and demonstrate it, because they don't know that. Even if they know the words, they don't understand the truth of it. When we announce without demonstrating, we are hypocrites. When we demonstrate without announcing, we are also hypocrites. Again, hard to hear. (laughs) But these two pieces have to go together, or it's not the true gospel. Compassion for others is what moves us, it's what moved Jesus to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to deliver the oppressed, and to teach. He didn't just meet those physical needs, he told them the truth. And we are to follow his example We're to empathize with people. Whether we agree with them on everything or not, whether they've hurt us or not, this is what we're called to. Compassion and empathy are required in order for us to serve and communicate effectively with others. We do this by practicing deeds of mercy, justice, compassion, and showing neighborly love to the people around us as needs present themselves, and that means we have to pay attention to the people around us too. Part of being on mission is to be looking out for this, not just waiting for God to put them in your lap. Not that he never does that. Sometimes he, he makes us look up, but we have to be intentional in the way that we are living our life. We have to be intentional looking for these people. And as we reflect on what it means to show godly compassion to those around us, I want to once again remember that God showed us that ultimate act of compassion by sending Jesus to die and rise again, defeating sin and death. And the first Sunday of every month, we take communion together as a family. So that is today. And we do have the the elements on the chairs underneath in front of you. But this is a time that we get to remember, but I also want to encourage us that it's not just today, it's not just the first Sunday of the month that we remember. Because it is what our gratitude for this, our understanding of his compassion, his death, is what inspires our mission, for us to live on mission. We have to remember this in the day to day. But today we're gonna do this together Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Matthew 26, 26 through 28 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I always think when I read that, um, how um, awkward that might sound to people that don't know Jesus, but often we are told to remember, and as people, we need these tangible reminders for us. So I realized I forgot to grab Oh, thank you. (laughs) So we're going to take these together today and remember his sacrifice and resurrection. God, we thank you that we can come together and remember your ultimate act of love and compassion for us. And I do pray that we would remember this in the day-to-day. This wouldn't just be a mindless thing that we do, a tradition that we do together, but it would be a reverent moment of remembering your love, your sacrifice, and that that would inspire us to share that truth with other people. Help us to honor you today and every day. To honor you and your sacrifice for us. In your name we pray.